Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One of countless ambulance calls overnight in Gaza, this is Jabalia. How do you explain war to a child, given all the violence and suffering that goes along with it? Should you even try? Israelis woke up today to find their worst nightmares had come true in the form of a massive surprise attack by Palestinian militants from Gaza. A child's understanding of war and why it happens begins and ends with their parents. But as a parent, knowing the right thing to say is not always easy. It's really difficult for us as adults to try to cope with what we're seeing and what we're hearing. And so for children, it's it's so... It's unimaginable, really, how they might process it. But, but that's, I suppose, our responsibility and our duty. So it's about looking maybe at children, seeing how they're reacting to what they're hearing, if they're hearing anything, and then taking it from there. As part of her parenting series for the Irish Times, columnist Jen Hogan has been investigating how we should talk to our children about difficult subjects like death or separation. And for this episode, she looks at how to speak to children about war. It's about trying to talk them through it, helping them to process what they might have seen or what they might have heard and doing it really in a way that you're only giving them as much information as they actually need. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Pollock. Today, is there ever a good way to talk to your children about bad news? Jen Hogan, you have seven children ranging from primary school to university age. So you will have had many difficult conversations with them over the years. When it comes to talking to your kids about what's going on right now between Israel and Palestine and the frankly horrific scenes unfolding in news reports, should we be trying to shield them entirely or should we discuss this with them? And you spoke to parenting and early childhood education expert Dr. Mary O'Kane specifically about this. What did she have to say? Yeah, um, Mary feels that it's probably very important to actually raise the conversation with children to, I suppose, have that done in a very gentle way, in a very um, non-threatening way or, or scary way and just ask them about what they've heard or have they heard about the conflict and, and may, maybe base your response on what they say. And this is the advice that Dr. Mary O'Kane offered. For the little ones, I would say be proactive. So really gently bring up the conversation, asking them if they've heard about the conflict. You know, if they've heard anything in school about fighting across the world. If they say no, you know, oh, but what's that about? And you can just say there has been some fighting. I just wanted to make sure that you weren't worried about it. Um, But be led by them. Be led if they do have questions. Be led by what they ask. Try to answer them as honestly as you can, but without giving them too many details. 
particularly for younger children, they need to know they are safe. So do you think a parent should bring it to the child first rather than waiting for the question to come? I think from, from I suppose, from my own personal perspective with, the ch- with children, I think most of the time we'll know if our kids have heard or seen something yeah. that we wouldn't like them to hear or see, particularly younger children, you know, the, and, and the sort of thing that we're seeing coming from this war is so horrifying and so difficult as an adult to grasp that if a child saw some of that imagery or heard some of those things, there's going to be a reaction to it. So I think you will know immediately if you need to address this with younger children in particular. With my very young children, I haven't necessarily gone there. If anything, I've tried to shield them very much from what's happening. I know from previous wars, I know Ukraine in particular had a very, one of my children really struggled with the information that was coming from there. And the nature of my job is the, the news is on in the background. You know, mm. I'm often reviewing yeah. news stories and other aspects of work. So so the news is on in the background and I I make now kind of that conscious effort sometimes to turn it off if there are younger children around. But I do realise that you have to have those conversations, those times around bedtime in particular, or when you are likely to hear if your child has heard anything in school or heard anything in the playground or heard anything just with friends outside, because they're the times when not only that unquestionable thirst suddenly emerges, they'll, they'll start to talk about the sort of things that are troubling them, the things that they heard, those questions, the nonstop questions tend to emerge then. And that's when I suppose you'll get that idea about whether or not you really need to address it. In terms of limiting exposure, I would absolutely say for younger children, limit their exposure to the media as much as you can. However, even if you limit news exposure in your own home, the chances are that for, say, primary school children, that they will hear something, maybe in the school, in the yard, about this conflict. So even though we want to protect them, it's better that we have a conversation with them than for them maybe to hear something and have to try and process it by themselves. Can you give me an example of some of the questions a younger child might be asking about war? You mentioned Ukraine and now Mm. in Gaza, the imagery is highly distressing. So if they've seen anything they may really wonder what's going on. I suppose the big uh, big question, certainly I've heard, and I think a lot of parents will probably be familiar with this, why? Why? And again, as adults, it, it's such a complex situation trying to explain that why to them. It's such a big question for children. That That's really difficult. Why? Seeing some of the imagery where children are hurt. I mean, that's devastating. It's, it's always, any of the imagery coming in and seeing the level of death and destruction that we're seeing is, again, so difficult for us as adults. Children are likely to have questions about that. Why? They're also going to look for the good and the bad. You know, for children in particular, younger children, things are generally very clear cut. There's the good side, there's the bad side. And not quite who are we up for, but what do we want? How, how are we getting our resolution? Who's going to win? Good must win. How does this win? Who's good and who's bad? And I think you're going to get those sort of questions in very simple terms because that's how children understand things. Our younger children are very what we call egocentric. So that means they relate anything dangerous back to themselves. Everything is about me. So it's really important that they know that this is far away and that they are safe. What about as an adult when you just can't answer the question? You don't have an Mm. answer for it. We don't know everything. Should you always try and respond? Should you be honest and say, I don't know the answer? I think so, yeah. Um, and Mary very much suggested that. She, I mean, she was very much aware of, I suppose, the big questions that might come and the complexity of the situation too. And there will be questions sometimes that children ask us that completely catch us off guard. Don't avoid their questions. If they ask something you're really struggling to answer, 
just be honest and say, you know, I just don't have the answer to that at the moment. You can even say, you know, I'll come back and see if I can find that out and let you know. Just try and let them lead the conversation and no more detail than is absolutely necessary. So taking the time to say, I actually don't know the answer to that, but leave it with me. Let me go away and find out what that answer is and I'll come back to you. It buys you time as well. It buys you time to present this information in a way that children can understand and it doesn't completely terrify them. I mean, certainly some of the questions that I've heard myself as well from my own children over the years, sometimes you do need to take that step back, go away, find out the information, work out how you're going to best present it to them. And Mary very much advocates that admitting that you as an adult don't know all the answers, but you are going to try and find it out for them again, that reassurance that you will do your best to get that information to them and to find out the the answer to the questions that they want to know. What if we notice that our children are becoming more anxious or fretful and we think it's as a result of some sort of news that they've consumed. What do we do in that situation? Again, Mary points back to the idea of helping children to do what they can do. And I suppose that's what we all, all of us are describing at the moment, how helpless we feel as we're watching some of the news footage come in. But helping children very much to do what they can do. If you know they have already heard something, so if they come to you and they say, you know, they've heard something, they're really upset, and maybe they've heard that there are children caught up in violence across the world, it's really important to let them do something that they feel is helping. And it also gives them nearly a sense of control if they can do something. And so that might be maybe they want to light a candle for those children. Maybe you want to look up an organization where you can make a donation. And if you're religious within your family, maybe they want to pray for the children caught up in conflict during their bedtime prayers. But even something very small, Anything that they can do that feels that they are doing something positive can actually make these situations easier for them. Jen, what about personal news? What about when a loved one becomes ill or dies with younger children? How do you broach that topic with a young child? Yeah, I'm actually covering this as part of the series at the moment, um, talking to children about serious sickness and, and grief and death. And in speaking to an expert, the advice very much was to be open with them. I mean, to obviously you tailor your language and you tailor your conversation around their age, but that you are open with them so that you can help them to process what's coming. So if you're aware that a loved one is going to die and you have time to prepare them for that, that you actually sit down and have that conversation, perhaps in a way where maybe you talk about if it was maybe in the example of if somebody had cancer and you talk about a situation where the adult involved was maybe going to the hospital and was getting medicine and the medicine was working for a while and it's not working now and trying to lead a child gently through that conversation and talk about how ask them do they understand what's going to happen and I suppose preparing them for the fact that death is coming. I mean as adults we know that's the only guarantee that we have in life but for children trying to get them around to understand that because for young children understanding the finality of death is very difficult so you're while it feels like a very cruel and difficult conversation to have and within the the actual piece on it there are, are details of how to have those conversations 
while it feels like that difficult conversation, it's actually about helping a child to process that information and to move forward with it. But you're not going to do it where you're sitting down and you're having a conversation like we are across from each other. You're picking maybe your moment as you're doing things. Um, you could be in the car, you could be just having the chats somewhere else. And you you have those conversations where you're you're not quite eyeballing somebody, but where it's, it's in a slightly more natural situation. So you're giving the child the opportunity to come back with questions to find out how much they understand. The most important thing is that your conversation is going to be led by the age of your child. And remember, you know your child better than anybody else knows them. When there is something really difficult happening in a child's world, they look to us for safety. They look to us for calm. So the most important thing is you talk to them when you're calm, give them time, give them space to tell you how they're feeling, um, and be there for them. So maybe even before bedtime, extra time with them, just to give them a sense of security. The most important thing our children need from us when they're faced with anything difficult in the world or within their family is that we listen to them and we reassure them. Coming up, how to approach difficult conversations with anxious teenagers. I'll continue my conversation with Jen Hogan after this short break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Jen, pretty much all teenagers have smartphones at this mm-hmm. stage. And so they almost definitely will have been exposed to some of the upsetting footage which is coming out of Israel, of Gaza, last year out of Ukraine. How should parents manage this type of news with teenagers who may be struggling to process what they're witnessing, even though they may not Mm -hmm. admit this, and may also be very affected by the imagery they're seeing on their phones? Yeah, I mean, that's with smartphones, like you said, teenagers have such have access to news in a way that we never did before and they have access to stories and it's not all accurate. That's the other thing for teenagers in particular, trying to decipher what's real and what's not real is is, is quite difficult. We're adults, yeah. And and they're getting their news from TikTok. They're getting their news from social media and they're not always getting their news from the most reliable sources. So first of all, that's something that needs to be addressed. Are they getting upset about something which is perhaps not wholly accurate? Um, Are they getting upset about a head Maybe they're running away with something based purely on a headline that Mm. they've seen, a catchy headline, which maybe doesn't explain the full extent of the story or the full extent of what's happening. So this is what Dr. Mary O'Kane had to say about it. For teenagers, they will have a much better understanding of the issues. It is very possible your teenager has seen potentially traumatising images on social media that it would be really healthy to talk through with you 
and they will have heard some conversation, it's unlikely they will have heard nothing about this. So try and have a conversation with them about it. Just be prepared with your teenagers. They are much more likely to move towards wider political issues. So it can be helpful to say to them, look, there is a long history surrounding this conflict. Try and avoid one side is bad, one side is good. It's much more complex than that. And let them know that. And a good idea can be to say to them, let's sit together and do a little bit of research about this. It's much better that they research it with you and they look into it with you than they potentially hear something from somebody on TikTok. Jen, how important is it to let both children and teenagers know that in the middle of a war, like the conflicts in Ukraine or between Gaza and Israel, that there are non-violent solutions mm-hmm. to what is going on. And also that there are people out there who are volunteering to save lives as opposed to taking lives. That kind of information, I suppose, is so comforting and is so important. And as Mary points out, children need that hope, whether they're younger children or whether they're older children, us adults need it too. We need to see where is where are we going from here and pointing out that the, the peaceful resolutions are something that other adults are calling for and looking for um, to bring an end to the conflict. I remember I was a teenager when uh, the Twin Towers were hit and when the war in Iraq broke out. Mm. And I remember feeling very scared, but maybe not being open with my parents about how scared I felt. Mm. What about parents who are worried that their children, their teenagers, perhaps feel embarrassed about the fear they're feeling? Yeah, it is. It, you know, even what you said there, I remember the Twin Towers myself and I remember thinking, oh, my God, the world is going to change beyond mm-hmm. Recognition, and I suppose in certain to a certain degree it did. Mm. Um, those conversations, it's very like a lot of the conversations throughout the series that I, I've written about. To have those conversations and to give teenagers back those opportunities, it goes back to choosing your your times where you have them to as a parent to raise the discussion instead of waiting for the teens to come to you because like you said the teen might be embarrassed about being upset about something that doesn't even directly affect them mm. there's an embarrassment why am I feeling like this I haven't lost somebody Never I felt those emotions yeah before. I, I, why am I am I a baby you know why am why can't I handle this in a more mature way so having those conversations in in the non-formal sit-down way but in the way where you're driving somewhere and you're having a cha- having mm. the chats in the car maybe or where you're out going for going for a walk on the school run or perhaps dropping them to an activity. These are the opportunities sitting down watching something on the telly if you can manage to keep them in the same room as you sitting down watching something on the telly that opportunity to bring bring that conversation up and check in how they're feeling and sharing how you're feeling because these sort of things have an impact on us as adults too and sometimes when we share with our own teenagers how we feel about it 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 shows them that adults can feel that way too. Mm. So it's okay to have those strange feelings and I suppose talk through it then again, providing those opportunities to say exactly how they're feeling. So you can offer reassurance where it's appropriate and explain it's normal where where they understand and actually get a feel for whether or not it is something that's becoming completely overwhelming or not for them. When it comes to teenagers and speaking with them about bereavement and death, they will understand the mechanics of what's going on. But what are the main things to keep in mind when approaching this sensitive topic with this age group? I suppose the thing is there, again, the age, because they're older, sometimes we can expect too much from them Mm. and we can nearly expect them to be our shoulder to cry on if it's somebody Mm. that we've lost too, if Mm. if it's a partner, a parent, uh, um, a a sibling, if it's somebody as an adult that was very important in your life too, you're going to be wading in your own grief also and there's a danger that you lean too much on your teenager or that you're... 
I suppose, are, are so overwhelmed by your own grief that maybe your teen feels that they can't necessarily speak to you. So I think it's about trying to remember to give them space as well. And the expert very much pointed to that within the piece that's coming out, that it's very important to give them that opportunity to talk about it, but to be aware that sometimes they will try not to talk, but they might again still have that fear that they might set you off again, that if you're having a good day, they don't want to tip you over the edge again. So trying to be aware of how they're feeling and revisiting that conversation frequently. These are not one-time conversations. Mm. These are constant check-ins and knowing that it could be further down the road that you see a teen really struggle. It can be in different aspects of their life. So the the, the constant conversations and the constant opportunities to to have those conversations and and provide support where, where you can, but knowing that they will understand the enormity of it. And sometimes that's another extremely difficult thing for them to manage when they when they do appreciate that death is so final. I suppose in summary, you know your child best. Allow them to talk, listen to their feelings and remember what they need from us is to be a port in the storm. It's our calm presence, our calmness in their lives. That's what actually really helps them process really challenging events. So their connection to us is what helps them register safety. That's all for today. To read Jen Hogan's regular column, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Sarah Pollock. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and John Casey. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart. A better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.